0: Welcome to another episode of Reformation Roundtable. My name is Joe Stout. This podcast is dedicated to the vision of planting a distinctly reformed, unapologetically biblical, and historically Trinitarian local church. Now, where is this locality? Well, it's Lewis County, Washington. The Centralia Chehalis area specifically is the area we are looking to plant this church. And and as we pursue this goal together, um, we created this podcast kind of as a way for others in our community to engage with and, and join us in this shared vision. And what is that shared vision? Well, it's to see Christ's kingdom expand here in lewis county so the following recording contains the audio from our latest fellowship night and this happened on february 28th 2021 and that was here in centralia at the centralia christian school now we aren't just doing our own thing we are currently under the care and authority of trinity church Trinity Church is in Bothell, Washington, and there's been a couple episodes where we've heard from Pastor Dave Hatcher. He's the the preaching pastor at Trinity Church. So Trinity Church is a member of the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches, the CREC, and they're providing the oversight for us. Now, part of this oversight is that we are not officially a mission church yet. There is a goal that we have in mind before we go live As a mission church and that is 10 founding member families and so while we wait on the providence of god we are meeting on sunday evenings for what we're calling fellowship nights and during these fellowship nights we've been practicing specifically we've been practicing the liturgy and developing the liturgy that we'll use once we become an official mission church so i have the order of service that's just another term for the liturgy in the show notes. It's actually a printout. You can print it out if you'd like, and you can follow along if you wish to. Uh, And we're going to continue to meet every Sunday evening for fellowship nights, as well as on Thursday nights for discussions of Reformed Theology, as we continue to build a lot of, lay a lot of the groundwork for what this church is eventually going to be. If you'd like to join us for these discussions or for our times of fellowship, please we want you to and so go to lewiscounty.church that's not lewiscounty.com it's lewiscounty.church and on that site you can look at the calendar of events and it'll show you the next uh, few events that are coming up you'll be able to look at past discussions uh, listen to listen in on different fellowship nights uh, and you can also contact us directly with any questions or comments that you might have so that is enough from me i'm going to go ahead and turn it over to the audio of the fellowship night, and I hope you enjoy this time of fellowship, and I really do hope that if the Lord is calling you to join us in this vision, to see his kingdom come in this way in Lewis County, in the Centralia, Chehalis, Twin City area, I hope you join us. I really do hope you join this. Until then, enjoy this time of fellowship. All right, we're going to go ahead and get started here, guys. It's great to see everybody. Um, I have... Uh, a couple of announcements to make before we get started. Um, this is a fellowship night. And so fellowship nights are, um, they're times of fellowship, of course, hence the name. But um, the slight, there's a slight difference between a fellowship night and actual what we would call Lord's Day worship. Lord's Day worship would be um, under the care and guidance of another church, uh, or if we were a, a mission church and we were you know, kind of set off on, our, on you know, kind of set loose from the nest, um, that's what we're hoping to do soon. We're looking for 10 founding families to uh, actually start official Lord's Day worship. Until then we're doing what we're calling fellowship nights uh, and it's kind of like practice. Okay, So we're we're practicing our liturgy. Now liturgy um, is what you guys are holding in your hand. It's the order of service. And some people kind of think that sounds like a Catholic word, but it's not. It's just all a liturgy is, is it's an order of things. It's a way of doing things in a certain order. So. Everybody has a liturgy when they go get gas. They do. They get gas in a certain way. Or if they uh, make coffee in the morning, they have a liturgy for that. Um, and some liturgies are intentional, and some liturgies are not. This is a deliberate, intentional liturgy. We're setting it out, and we're not just kind of falling into it. It's also a work in progress. Um, we have been, we've been kind of uh, working through the liturg- liturgical format on Thursday nights. And so, if you would like a uh, say in how this is structured you can come on Thursday nights to our discussions. And um, the the Thursday nights discussions are less fellowship nights like this with singing and, and, and scripture readings and things like that. And they're more just like discussions. So this Thursday, we're going to be talking about, um, of course, the liturgy. We're going to kind of talk about what works really well with this, maybe some things we can improve. We're also going to be talking about biblical eldership, the book and the concept, um, as well as when we actually become a mission church, who is going to be. Uh, who's going to be in the, uh, an elder within that. And then we'll also be looking at the bylaws. We have a draft form of bylaws written, but they're not, um, they're not binding yet. And so we're, we're still working through that as well. Um, just one last thing on the, uh, on the liturgy is that it is um, it's, it's structured. So there's more structure than if you don't think through your liturgy. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that there's less feeling or that it's less meaningful. It just means that we thought about it beforehand as opposed to just, you know, kind of letting things spring up as they came. Um, when you're looking through this, if you see bolded words, that's the part that the congregation says. So there's going to be call and response throughout the liturgy. Um, if you see the little plus signs in the left-hand side, that's the times that we're going to stand up together. Um, and, and all of this, all of, the, all of the body posture stuff, whether you're standing there's even going to be a time of kneeling. There's going to be a time where we raise our hands together. Do that if, as you're able. It's not a got to, it's a get to. You get to do this if you, but if, if you don't feel comfortable, if you're not able to, don't worry about it at all. There's, there's nothing at all wrong with, with, uh, with sitting it out, especially, especially the kneeling one. <laughs> you only have to do that if, if you're able to. So, um, <clears throat> with that, we're going to go ahead and get started. And so, our meditation to prepare for worship. It comes from Psalm 66, verses 16 through 20. This is the word of God. Come and hear, all you who fear God, and I will declare what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and he was extolled with my tongue. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear, but certainly God has heard me. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God who has not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy for me. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come into your presence knowing that you will not turn away our prayers, nor will you withhold mercy. You have done marvelous things for us, and therefore we come here to worship and adore you. May we do so in the beauty of holiness. We ask that the words of our mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, in the good and strong name of Jesus, we ask this by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 So hear the call to worship. Let us worship the triune God, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And also, and also you. you. Go ahead and stand for the to hear the call to worship psalm. Uh, for who in the heaven can be compared to the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened to the Lord? God is great. God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be held in reverence by all those around him. O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty like you, O Lord? Your faithfulness also surrounds you. You rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, there is no one like you. You are high and lifted up and we hold you in reverence. You are not distant, though. You call us into your presence as a loving Father calls his children. You are surrounded by faithfulness, and we are the recipients of that gift. Give us eyes to see your faithfulness, ears to hear, heads to think, and hearts to thank. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.
1: Alright, would you join in singing All Creatures of Our God and King? We are going to do verses 1, 2, and 5. That's 1, 2, and five.
2: Yes, you can remain standing. All creatures of our God and King, lift up your voice and with us sing, Hallelujah. we uh-huh.
0: call to worship. We move now into the confession. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. Scripture is filled with many commands to sing. Oh, sing a new song to the Lord. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Proclaim his, proclaim his salvation by song day after day. These are but a small handful of the scriptural commands to sing. We are told to sing. Interestingly, we are not told to sing if it happens to be our gifting. We are not told to sing only if it's our heart's desire or if we are currently in the mood. We are told to sing and therefore sing we must. Why does God emphasize singing so much? Why can't we all just intellectually memorize things and recite and discuss calmly and without the indignity of singing? There are probably hundreds of good answers as to why God emphasizes the necessity of singing. But one of the ones that comes to mind this evening is that worship, singing, is warfare. And singing brings hope in battle. When we sing, we are going to war. We sing with joy because we know that the victory wrought by Christ is sure. We sing because we are not so serious as to believe the battle is without hope. Jehoshaphat placed singers on the front lines of battle against the Ammonites. And the Lord went before their songs and set ambushes against the enemies. The front line infantry in this war was literally a choir. It's hard to sing the Psalms without hope. You see, hopelessness produces in us a grim seriousness, a stick-in-the-mud mindset that would never stoop, at least in that mindset, to the ridiculous level of song. Leave those songs to the children, I've got serious work to do, those without hope might say, but true hope, the hope that comes from Jesus, produces a heart and throat filled with joy, gladness, laughter, and song. Hope does not disappoint. We can sing because we know that we can never lose when we have given all in faith to Christ. So tonight, sing. Sing with no thought to what others might think, but sing with a hearty vigor. Sing in joy, love, and in hope to your King. This, of course, reminds us of our need to confess our sins. So as we prepare for confession... Please sing with me, and you can stay seated. Sing with me, In Christ Alone, My Hope is Found.
2: In Christ Alone
3: And it's an invitation, it's not a command. It's an invitation to uh, kneel with me. I'm going to kneel as I uh, pray this prayer of confession. Um, and it, the reason why we, uh, just because this is uh, a training time, we'll do a little bit of kind of teaching as we go. The reason why we do stand up and sit and move and stuff is I think it's really important to involve your body in worship, because we just sit still the whole time. Um, it's easy to kind of disengage, so so the standing and the raising the hands and the kneeling is all a part of kind of getting our body involved in the worship. And so when you're um, confession, you know, humility is really important um, to, the, to confessing your sins. So I'm going to go ahead and kneel, and I invite you to join me, and you'll we'll, um, and join in with this prayer as we pray. And I'll start by reading, uh, this is Psalm 130, and then I'll... Uh, begin the prayer. So, out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can, with reverence, serve you. Almighty, eternal God and Father, King of kings and Lord of lords, we acknowledge that you are our only hope, our only source of good things. Truth Hope, joy, peace, even our very life and breath. Apart from you, we can do nothing. And yet we confess that often we choose to do life on our own. We trust in our own strength rather than taking up your yoke that is easy and light. We trust in our own wisdom rather than studying and meditating on your holy word. Even when we read your word, we go away and immediately forget. We pursue our own selfish desires rather than seeking first your kingdom and righteousness. We get impatient and angry when others get away with evil or get ahead of us, rather than committing our way to you, trusting our vindication to your righteousness. We justify and blame others when confronted with our own sin, rather than being quick to repent. We hold grudges and take up bitter attitudes rather than extending grace and being quick to forgive we unashamedly declare that we are desperate for you forgive us lord for our sin and set our feet on the path of righteousness amen go ahead and rise up and i want to declare to you this is from psalm 32 i i love this uh, psalm blessed is the one whose trans- transgressions are forgiven whose sins are covered blessed is the one whose sin the lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Amen. Amen.
0: So as we have confessed our sins, God has called us into worship. We have we have been made known of our of our sin. We've been um, we have been forgiven of our sin. So listen to this, people of God, your sins are forgiven through Christ. Thanks, Thanks to be to God. Now as we move through this, we will continue to confess our common faith.
4: So I. Go Sam. We're going to do a responsive reading, continuing in that confession. Christian, what do you believe?
2: I believe in
4: God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus
2: Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was, he was conceived by the Holy
0: Ghost
1: and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified dead and was buried. He descended into Hades.
0: On the third day, he rose again from the dead, ascended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence, he will come to
2: judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic
5: Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life.
4: Now the response of reading from Psalm 102, 25 to 28. Of old, you laid the foundation of the earth. And, and the heavens of your hands. hands. They will perish, but you will endure. Yes, yes they, they will whole roll, roll, roll 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 like, like a garment. garment.
6: Like a cloak, you will change them, and, and they will be changed.
4: But you are the same, and your years will have no end. The, the children, children of your servants will continue. continue and their descendants will be established before
2: you.
7: passage from the Old Testament, passage from the New Testament, and I apologize I'm not following the liturgy, because I didn't know how this exactly worked, uh, and uh, so I I thought I was on my own uh, when I got the text from Joe. So hopefully we can uh, make this fit. The Old Testament is uh, something I've been reading about anyways, and it's in the book of uh, Amos, considered a minor prophet, and very hard to understand if it's just coming out of the blue and not a little bit of explanation, so I'll be brief. But um, as is very common with many of the prophetic books, uh, God is not pleased with what's going on, so he sent a prophet. And in this case, what's taking place at this time is an absence of true worship and a lack of justice that's going on, kind of uh, some inequities. And just a, a side note, some of Amos's uh, kind of counterparts at this time uh, uh, were like Jonah and Hosea and Isaiah, just as a, a bit of interest. And then last but not least, of course I'll read, but um, even though judgment by God is often very harsh, um, there's, there's always restoration ready for the, the righteous remnant. Not necessarily for everybody, but 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 that is is there. Even though, uh, you know, captivity and different things happen that are are very difficult. So, let's see if that doesn't help us just a little bit with Amos. Amos chapter seven. It's fourteen verses. Um, Thus the Lord God showed me, and behold, he was forming a locust swarm. When the spring crop began to sprout, and behold, the spring crop uh, was after the kings have already mowed and taken care of all the the, uh, first harvest. And it came about that when God was going to bring the the locust, um, Amos goes, Lord God, please, pardon, how can Jacob stand... For he is small. And the Lord said changed his mind about this and decided not to bring the locusts on. Thus uh, and, it shall, and it shall not be, said the Lord. Thus the Lord God showed me, and behold, uh, the Lord God was calling um, to bring about a fire. And this fire was going to destroy everything. And Amos once again intervened and said, Lord God, please. Stop, how can Jacob stand, for he is small. The Lord changed his mind about this also. And, uh, and that happened. And then the Lord God goes on, because there's five visions that he has, there's two of them. Um, but uh, he comes on and he talks to, to Amos and he says, Thus, Thus he showed me. And behold, the Lord was standing by a vertical wall with a plumb line in his hand. The Lord said to me, what do you see, Amos? And I said, A plumb line. Thus the Lord said, Behold, I am about to put a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. The high places of Isaac will be uh, desolated, and the sanctuaries of Israel laid waste. Then I will rise up against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. This is the... The way it's going at this point in time is there's much inequities, the rich are getting richer, the poor are being ignored. Then uh, Amaziah the priest of Bethel sent word to Jeroboam king of Israel saying Amos has conspired against us. They're saying hey, Amos is making this stuff up and he's saying some negative stuff about us." For thus Amos said Jeroboam will die by the sword and Israel will constantly go from its land in exile. Then Amaziah said to Amos, go you seer, flee away to the land of Judah and there eat bread and there do you prophesy but no longer prophesy in Bethel for it is a sanctuary of the king and a royal residence. Long story short, uh, Amos does get run out and how we will intersperse this with raising children, I'm not sure, <laughs> but that's what the Lord <laughs> had on me. But we have a New Testament reading, and I think this might work uh, and where we can fit that in just a little bit. First Thessalonians chapter 1, probably the oldest epistle uh, written by Paul. And he has nothing but good things to say to them because they have been doing a good job. And these are new churches in the Thessalonica area. Uh, and he has no you know, condemnation. He's just praising them. So hopefully i not stopped too much commentary. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor and love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. In the presence of our God and Father, knowing brethren beloved by God, his choice of you For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know, what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. You also became imitators um, of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit." So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia, for the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth. So that, with no need, uh, so that we have no need to say anything, for the for they themselves. Um, report about us what kind of reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, that to Jesus who was uh, who rescues us from the wrath to come. This is the word of the Lord. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks be to God. You guys can go ahead and have a seat
0: while we sing our next song before our prayers of Thanksgiving petition. We're going to sing Psalm 23, The King of Love, My Shepherd Is. So while you're turning there, the uh, just as as this is practice and as we have some commentary as we go along, the reason why we have an Old Testament reading and a New Testament reading is because the Word of God is meant to be heard. Um, uh, we are told not today if you read His Word and do not harden your heart, we're, we are told that if you hear his word, do not harden your heart. And so that is why we need to be hearing the word of God be spoken. We can read it, of course, and we should. Um, and of course, the sermon generally will have a uh, will, will always be based on scripture and we have responsive readings, but just hearing the word of God is the way it was meant for us to, to listen to. Uh, and with that, let's sing the word of God and sing Psalm 23
2: the king of love my shepherd is whose goodness fades.
0: bring our prayer of thanksgiving to the Lord and then the prayer of petition. So will the men who are leading that come forth?
8: This is going to be from Psalm 95. Come, let us sing for joy to Yahweh. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. With songs, let us shout joyfully to him. For Yahweh is the great God and the great king over all gods. We thank you, Father, for choosing us, your instruments, in the establishment of this mission church. We thank you for knowing and directing our steps, as we certainly do not. We thank you for continued guidance as we select leadership and make decisions on the myriad of details involved in the expansion of your church. We also thank you for the strength to bear up under the burden you assign us, persecution and resistance to your righteousness from within and without. And most of all, we thank you for awakening us and making us a church as a whole, your light to the world. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who is and was and is to come, O oh, you, whose name alone is Jehovah and who is the most high over the earth. O oh, God, you are our God. Ear- early we will seek you. Our God, we will praise you. Our Father's God, we will exalt you. O oh, you who are the true God, the living God the one, only, living and true God, and the everlasting King, the Lord our God, who is one God. You are very great, you are clothed with honor and majesty. You cover yourself with light as with a garment. You are light, and in you is no darkness at all. You are love, and they that dwell in love dwell in God, and God in them. You are the Father of light, with whom is no variableness or shadow of turning, and from whom proceeds every good and every perfect gift. You are the blessed and only ruler, King of kings, and the Lord of lords, who only has immortality, dwelling in the light, which no one can approach, whom no one has seen or can see. Amen.
4: Amen. I will be reading from Psalm 143, verses 5 through 8, for our prayer petition. I remember the days of old, I meditate on all of your doings, I muse on the work of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you, my soul longs for you as a parched land. Selah. Answer me quickly, O Lord, my spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me, for I will become like those who go down to the pit. Let me hear your loving kindness in the morning, for I trust in you. You teach me in the way in which I should walk, for to you I lift up my soul. Dear Lord, we gather before you, wholly undeserving of your grace and blessings. I ask that you will hear our prayers and petitions so that we may take part in your will and that our desires are glorified to your name so that the kingdom of heaven can be extended. We pray that this church body will be honoring to you and that our songs and conversations will be a pleasing sound to your ear. I pray for unity and clarity as we form our liturgy in a way that is consistent with your vision for us. I ask that we'll be able to expand our church body through repenting sinners like ourselves and that we will faithfully minister to them and they to us. We seek wisdom and guidance for our congregation to identify the correct pastor that you have already carefully chosen for us. I pray that our fellowship brings growth, encouragement, and energy to our members. I pray that those of us in spiritual, mental, emotional, and physical need find strength in it. I pray that we see healing for Andrew, Judy, and Leslie, and for their souls in this troubling time of theirs. I pray for patience, understanding, and strength for the families among us so that we may reflect your plan and design for marriage, and that our children be raised in accordance with your teachings so that they may grow to bring honor and glory to you. Lastly, I pray for Pastor Hatcher, Trinity Church, and the local session. I pray that our membership be met with biblical guidance and wisdom, that the body as a whole be strengthened by our presence, and that it remain the target of the eyes of our heart, the eternal treasure of our soul. Amen. Amen.
6: Amen. Go ahead
0: and stand up and we'll sing uh, Psalm 128. Then we'll have our discussion. I know we sing this song a lot, and part of that reason is because we want to always be singing the Psalms. They're God's songs. And wants us to sing them. But also when we're talking about the promises of God to Christian parents regarding their children, there's few that are as good, few promises as good as Psalm 128. So let's sing it together.
2: Bless the man that fears Jehovah and that walketh in his ways. Thou be Like a with fruit abounding, in thy house thy wife is found. And like all plants thy children, compassing thy table round. And like all plants thy children, compassing thy table round. The one in the future, Jehovah, shall this blessedness attend. For Jehovah, out of Zion, shall to thee his blessing send. Thou shalt see Jerusalem prosper, all thy days till life shall cease. Thou shalt see thy children's children, unto Israel be peace. Thou shalt see thy children's children, unto Israel be peace. Amen.
0: Amen. All right, so we're going to talk now about Chapter 2 of the book, Standing on the Promises. If you haven't read it, don't even worry about that at all, because Spencer will just, through his genius of communication, will just bring it up. Chapter 2? I thought it was
7: Chapter 4. You brought
0: <laughs> the right book, right?
9: Yeah. I think so. I think so. So hopefully everybody had a chance to read the read the, the chapter. I actually read it like three times, um, just because I wanted to kind of get a great, good grasp of what we were going over. But also, I was reading aloud to my wife, and she kept falling asleep. So I kept having to repeat myself. <laughs> <laughs> One of the problems of having six children, you end up reading things late into the evening because there's no time to do it otherwise. Um, so as indicated in the title um, of this chapter. Doug shows us that the promises of God um, that He makes to or that God makes to, to us as parents. Um, I must admit, though, there was a few things as I was reading through the chapter that I was like a little. I had to like reread things a few times because I'm making sure I understood what Doug was saying. Because there were some things that he said that I was just kind of like, eh, I'll kind of go over some of those things as I go through here, um, and the resolution in my own mind of them. Um, in the first section, uh, <clears throat> which didn't really have a title. Uh, Doug points out that our marriage must be ordered according to the covenant of marriage that God has ordained. He points out that marriage can be done in a non-covenantally redemptive manner, which is what much of the world does, because after all, non-Christians marry and have to fulfill their vows. Um, But Christians, however, must understand the covenant of marriage rightly. Doug states, but marriage does not exist as God requires in his word unless the marriage covenant is set in the context of the redemptive covenant that we have in Christ. In other words, there is no way to honor the marriage covenant properly without a larger covenantal submission and obedience in view. For our family must be structured according to the covenant. We must start with our marriage. Um, I think it's easy for, for, especially us as guys, maybe it's just me, I don't think it is, but maybe it's just me. Um, it's easy for us to kind of get relaxed and really focusing on the strength of our marriage and how much that impacts our family. Um, I know when, whenever there's struggles in our home with um, children, obedience issues, or um, even just the spiritual well-being of our home, a lot of times it stems from me not upholding my end of the deal, <laughs> um, but just not, not really focusing on our marriage um, health. and uh, and viewing our marriage properly according to Scripture. Parenting is hard, um, Christian or not, but God makes promises to us as parents, and that should give us relief. Doug says to keep us from being overwhelmed by our responsibilities as parents, we must turn first to the promises of God that apply to us as parents. As we come to understand these promises, we will then rest in them, and that evangelical rest will result in godly, trusting faithful parental work. So one of the things that first um, kind of made me, made my hackles go up a little bit, made me think a little bit um, about what I was reading. Going through some of these things, I'll admit that I I felt sort of like, now wait a minute, this sounds a little legalistic. You know, there was a few things that he was saying that um, made me a little nervous. But then as I read into them, um, just what he said there that as we rest in God's promises, not that we're trying to do something outwardly that's going to produce these things that we wish to see, but as we have faith that God is good to his promises um, and we rest in that promise, that our trusting in God and his work ends up you know, producing in us the things that we need um, and helps us to, to be good parents, helps us to be godly parents. So I wanted to ask, what are the group's thoughts on how we should begin to change our family into a covenantally-minded family? Um, Because not all of us have been involved in this kind of a mindset up until recently.
1: I think the thing that struck me um, is that the centrality of the gospel... In the way, not only in your actions that you're presenting, but also in an explicit manner, of bringing that as the centerpiece. It's the centerpiece of worship in heaven, Revelation, and so it should be the centerpiece of our homes. And I think that I think that there's a there's a tendency, as you had kind of commented, where we fall into a position where maybe as men we become more passive <laughs> towards something, and we're not actively making choices towards that. That 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 central focus on making everything about the gospel um, starts to fade um, and so i think that 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 was something that maybe more globally out of that chapter is what i kind of took from that and the the rest that we would find is resting in the promises and in the cross of christ the death burial and resurrection the assurance that we have of our salvation when we put our faith and trust in him and knowing that he is true to his word for our salvation, how much easier must it be to be true to his word in other areas that might seem so difficult for us to let go of control over? Um, so, anyway, so that's
9: kind of... <laughs> I think that kind of reminds you some of the things we talked about last week, um, as far as remaining covenantally minded, You were saying putting an emphasis on on our salvation in Christ we talked last week a little bit about um, family worship and focusing on doing that and prayerfulness in our home Um, and it was Thad mentioned you know when one of your boys was younger that oh are we about to eat and it's like oh we're not praying often enough (laughs) in our home Like this isn't good being prayerful all the time for various things um, I think puts the focus on Christ and it shows our kids This is what our faith is in. It's not in, you know, when we see, we hear a family member had to go to the hospital. We don't put our faith in the doctors and the nurses and the healthcare system. Although those things are good in our country, for the most part, thank goodness. But our faith should be in God and the fact that God is the ultimate physician and has provided those things to allow that, you know, constantly putting that focus on God and what God has done and what God is doing for us and the way God has blessed us.
0: Spencer, I also think I think we all can agree that parenting is a lot of work. It's just you got to work hard Yeah, and in good kids they don't come wise children come with foolishness bound up in their heart And you have to the parents and wisdom has to kind of beat that out of them um, And so we have to work hard Yeah, and so thinking covenantally means that we can work hard and hope knowing that it's there It's not a crapshoot. It's like God is for our kids you know, that's like the point of marriage is godly offspring. And that's why he starts with the marriage covenant, because he wants, he, he knows that the point of marriage is to produce godly offspring, and that's his heart's desire is to see
9: that. But it takes a lot of work. Well, I think it also, a marriage is hard work. Yes. You can't just, you know, but it also isn't, as you said, it's not a crapshoot. We have to be diligent <laughs> and as, as husbands and fathers in, in leading our home and washing our lives with the word and carrying on with that. So I think that hard work then spills over into the hard work of parenting as we're if we're doing it correctly, um, and I think that 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 blessing and of, of having rest in um, in Christ is is amazing. Sarah was recently reading a, a book by Matthew Henry um, um, called "The Pleasantness of a Religious Life," I think is what it's titled, and something that Matthew Henry said that I thought was was kind of a sweet thing um, thought for the Christian is that that the work of christianity is its own wages like we are like it's a blessing to do the work of being a christian and that is a very unique thing Um, the next section um, in this chapter is titled old testament promises god has promised throughout scripture that he does not change the author points out how this is a part of the promise he quotes psalms 102 28 um, which we read earlier of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment, and you will change them like a robe, and they will pass away, but you are the same, and you and your years have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. Doug goes on regarding this passage and says that, Because God does not change over generations, He can sustain the descendants of His servants. But this is not merely a statement about God's abilities. It is a promise concerning His intentions. We are not told here what God can do. We are told what He will do. And this unchanging purpose is based squarely on His unchanging character. Furthermore, um, we see in Deuteronomy 7.9, Therefore, know that the Lord your God, He is God, the faithful of God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. <clears throat> so him talking about some of these promises in the Old Testament was one of the things that uh, also made me prickle a little because I was thinking to myself, well, wait a minute, aren't these promises given to Jews and we're not Jews? you know?" And But that there again, I found that I, I'm seeing in myself a lot of things that I was taught growing up still, um, just kind of holding on to some things that um, that I learned through the years, and not really looking at Scripture and thinking about what was said. And so, as I dug through this more and more, um, I realized what Doug was saying here: that 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 promise is not only to the Jews; it's been expanded. It in, now includes us, the Gentiles, and that it has been that promise has grown. Um, there, where God promised to Abraham, you know, the land of Canaan, but that promise. Uh, It says, for the promise that would be, or was that Romans 4.13, for the promise that he would be heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. That's Romans 4.13. That was a a good realization that, I mean, I've always understood that the Old Testament has its value to us as Christians, even though we're not Jews. But this honestly has been very uh, encouraging to me. I've. Read the Bible. I've been. I grew up in church, but having a better understanding of how these things kind of mesh together, um, as we've been reading through this and studying this and thinking about some of these things, um, I feel like it's sort of. I sort of had an aha moment this last week um, in understanding what this, what covenantal leadership in the home looks like, and what um, a covenant-focused family is supposed to look like, and how our faith is played out through that. Um, Doug does give us a warning, however, that our children are not automatically included by relation. He said, Does it, the covenant, automatically include them, children, then? Certainly not. If parents are not covenantally faithful in how they bring up their children, and if their children do not embrace the faith of Abraham, their father, the genetic relationship alone does no good at all. Any who live and die in unbelief are of their father the devil. And that can be a, a sobering thing as a parent to think that if our children are in unbelief, they're of their father the devil. Um, and it definitely, um, I think that, that alone, if we are good parents, should spur us to desire um, a covenantly faithful home. So what can we do as parents to ensure that we are remaining con- covenantly faithful in how we are raising our children? Um, I guess that's actually pretty similar to my question I asked earlier. <clears throat> But are there any other thoughts regarding that? Yes, sir.
0: So I remember early on in our parenting, the aha moment I had in this was that the doing thing is just simply, it starts with believing. Yeah. When you believe this to be true, it changes everything. First your paradigm has to shift before it can be, make
3: any difference to your actions. Because you can't fake it. Yeah. You have to actually believe this. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a hope that's paramount in parenting because when you're having the, the same conversation with your son the 45th time and you're beginning to think, oh, this is not Connor, of course. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's so easy as parents to not see the little changes that God is working in your kids and, and to begin to think, oh, is it, am, I, am I failed as a parent? Am I, am I making any progress? But, but um you know, it's so important to just hold fast to those promises and, and to stay, kind of stay on the on on course, so to speak. Because it's easy to kind of throw up your hands, like I don't know what I'm doing. You know, but if we if we continue in that in faithfulness and praying for our kids and, and, and really, you know, knowing you're going to make mistakes, knowing that we desperately are in need of a Savior ourselves, <laughs> and, and a Holy Spirit to guide us. That um, he is faithful to to work those things out in our lives, and it's um, it's I have these we have these aha moments where we we you know I've had many times where you, where I'll I'll take a look at Connor for example I'm like going man he's turned into this great young man that when did that happen what what something happened right and I don't think it was me I don't know where I <laughs> but but this sense of that you just got to keep going and and the you talked about rest earlier that I think we mess up we got a messed up idea of what rest is. I mean, I, I think when I hear rest, I usually think like lounging on the couch, reading a good book, you know, or something like that. <laughs> but, but this is talking about a, an active rest, that we're resting in the promises, that we know the work we're doing is actually producing something in, because of the spirit that's working in us. Um, and it's not something we have to muster up an extra energy to try to happen, but if we're trusting in the Lord to work these things out for us.
9: Parenting can be so discouraging. Like you said, when you have those moments where you fail, it can be easy to get very downtrodden and feel like, "Oh man, this isn't going to work out. Like these kids are going to end up so messed up." You know, but when you have that mindset of, "You know what? I'm doing what God has asked me to do, and this is going to work out. I know it will because God is faithful." Amen. Um, that is a huge blessing.
1: Maybe as an extension beyond uh, the parenting side of stuff, uh, just talking about and hearing what uh, or reading what was said in that chapter. Um, the importance of accepting or uh, um, embracing the totality of scripture and oftentimes particularly in I think more modern evangelical circles there's almost this like well the Old Testament was just to get to Jesus and now we're just going to stick with stuff that's in the New Testament because that's the only thing that's relevant to me today and I think that that's, that's dismissive of God's word in terms of the talking about it in its totality and so and as an additional encouragement in that and understanding the promises of God is not just focusing on the stories or not just focusing on reading from the New Testament with family, but also making the, making the hard, and sometimes the harder leap to uh, reading the Old Testament again through the lens of understanding the gospel and everything else, but using those as teaching points too.
9: Well, I think it's, it is important that we see that God's faithfulness throughout generations like that um, and it's a good reminder especially when, you're, when you start to realize as a young person that the God who parted the Red Sea, you know, is the same God now, you know it's not changed, he does not change and that is a, that can be kind of a sobering thought, I mean, the power of God, and that's the God who's with us here this evening yeah. um, you know, amen to that
3: Well, I think it's also important to notice uh, there's New Testament moments in the middle of the Old Testament. Absolutely. um, That you see that it wasn't that God set up this plan in the Old Testament for his his people, and then Jesus came along and said, oh, I think I'll do this new thing now. You know, It it is what Jesus did on the cross was set up at the very beginning of time, before time, and everything that happened in the New Testament is working towards that. And even like the initial covenantal conversation with Abraham, he told Abraham that he was going to be blessed, so that the nations would be blessed. I mean, that's looking ahead to, through Christ, through you know Abraham's offspring, Jesus was going to bless the nations. You know, this is going out to all people. Yeah. So that, it wasn't like it was a, su- a surprise. Like Jesus came along, oh, I'll try something new now. You know, this is a, it's it's a carry on of what was established in the Old Testament.
9: So that's actually a, a wonderful segue into the next section, which is that's exactly what you were talking about. And I I was really intrigued by, he referenced that right out of the gate that how a lot of Christians view that period between Malachi and Matthew was kind of a time when God gave up on his former promises and said, well, we'll start over here, you know, which obviously looking at the aforementioned promises and the fact that God doesn't change is not the case. Um, God was not idle during this period. He was faithful and he was, and he has continued to be so. Um, Wilson shows us how God in his word gives more evidence of his faithfulness to his people, um, in Isaiah 65, 22 through 23, it says, They shall not build and another inhabit, they shall not plant and another eat, for like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, but they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. <coughs> This passage is referring to a future time when God's people will bring forth children and they will not be brought forth for calamity or trouble in the translation that Doug used in the book. Um, When we are a faithful people, God will be our God and we will be his people. And as a result, God will bless us and our children after us forever. Our children will not be fodder for the world, but will instead be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord. God is overwhelmingly good to us. So I was just kind of curious. What are what's everybody else's thoughts on the fact on that transition period between the old and the new testament? Because um, I I always sort of grew up with honestly that assumption, <laughs> not not that assumption, but that kind of mindset. Um, and I think that was my error. Like I said earlier, reading that um, that disconnect between the old and the new testaments. And I was just curious if anybody else has experienced kind of that same that same shift. Um, An understanding, or um, Rayle's thoughts on that.
6: I would wonder if during that time, what people were thinking, because across much of the Old Testament landscape, there's a prophet, Mm -hmm. or there's a word of God coming and and being being put forth, and all of a sudden there's a silence. So I think, you know, perhaps it's a bit of a time of testing of faith. Is God still there? And then perhaps there's this anticipation as well. Somewhere inside, there's an anticipation coming. I mean, 400 years is a long time to us, but it's, you know, a blink to the Lord, certainly. So, um, you know, God definitely had a purpose for it. And then I think that the, 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 when John the Baptist showed up all of a sudden, you know, kind of thrust into this this new covenant that's that's gonna be upon us now. So yeah. uh, kinda of rambling a little bit. <laughs> Join the club. We're, we're in the
9: same boat. Um, something that Thad said that I um, that Doug mentioned. Um, let's see if I can find it here. This section here um, where where Doug talked about uh, says David my servant shall be king over them and they shall all have one shepherd they shall all also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them then they shall dwell in the land that I have given to Jacob my servant where your fathers dwelt and they shall dwell there They, their children, and their children's children forever. And my servant David shall be their prince forevermore. That's from Ezekiel 37, 24 through um, 26. So this is Old Testament prophet, and yet what he's talking about um, is, you know, Christ will be our prince, the son of David, Mm -hmm. right? And... That realization of that too—that kind of ties that Old Testament to New Testament um, for me. And like you said, seeing that Christ has been the plan all along. That's not there was not a plan A which failed, and God said, "Well, off to plan B." That's not what happened. Um, I think that is a uh, a beautiful thing to have that realization.
0: Spencer he also says on the bottom of page twenty-nine. He says it's not as though God were somehow concerned for the preservation of generations in the Old Testament. But now in the New Testament, he begins to say every man for himself. Right. The arrival of the Messiah is a demonstration of God's faithfulness to the generations of his people. It's not the point at which he abandons them. Uh, and I thought that was so key. It's like the, the new covenant is better in every single way. So if God cared about generational covenant faithfulness in the Old Testament, how much more will he care about it now? Like it, it's, it's, it's no longer, it's, it's better than the promise of the Old Testament. So we can't read the promise of the Old Testament and think, Gee, that'd be nice if that if that was my promise. Right. It's like, no, that is your promise, and all of Christ, They're, all the promises
9: are yes and amen, in Jesus. Yeah. I, and I think that um, Doug's little analogy of the the father who promises his son, "I'll give you five dollars if you mow the lawn," um, but instead gives the kid hundred bucks, is kind of what the promise is. You know, it's not. We see these promises in the Old Testament that look good and great, and God fulfills those for. For the Jews, but then he's expanded them. They're better now. You know, that promise has turned into something far better than what it was. Um, and I'm sure it will continue on far more than we understand now. Um,
7: Spencer. Yeah. Um, I don't know who that fellow was that wrote the scriptures up there tonight, but he prophetically read
1: <laughs> Amos. Yeah, something out of
7: that Amos. Guy? And when you think about that, though, one of the reasons I picked that was. Um, that if things don't go well, you can petition God and, so to speak, he can change his mind about things. So it isn't like everything lost, but things go maybe not as good as they should. And, and it's not like you can't turn around and, and petition God and say, wow, can, Father, can we yeah. kind of start over, so to speak, not with yeah. brand new kids, but can we start over where we're at for this yeah. situation? And, and that is good to realize.
9: God is well and and thanks be to God he's abundant in mercy (laughs) because Mm -hmm. you know there there are times that he's very merciful with us when we petition him yeah it's
1: a really great (laughs) choice providential (laughs) wow
9: (laughs) oh man (laughs) Uh, in the last section we're showing how God has made accommodation for us in his Old Testament promises which we talked about um, and how that covenant has been expanded and not rewritten. Um, Doug tells us that unfortunately some of these promises have been distorted um, by nominalistic Christians. He tells us that we must not measure covenantal truth by those who are faithless to the covenant. In order to determine what is true, we are to look to the word and not to people. What does God say about those who are covenantally faithful? What does he say about their children, their grandchildren? That, and as just reading through this chapter, like I said, I, was, it was very, I had that aha moment. And it was just very kind of overwhelming how faithful God is to us. And um, honestly, I, it was kind of a burden lifted. It was, I, I didn't realize how much I had put the, I mean, I trusted God, but I hadn't realized how much faith I'd put in myself to rear my children appropriately. And in the realization that I need to put more faith in God, do what God has commanded, and put faith in the fact that these children will turn out the way He wants them through His work, not through mine. Um, it was it was a big burden lifted, and very much so.
0: In <clears throat> Spencer, it, I think kids kids can smell unbelief probably better than anybody. And if they don't think you believe something, if you tell if you tell your kids, hey, you know, God loves you, or God did this for you or that for you or here's the promises that God has said concerning you and they don't think you believe it
2: Amen.
0: that's that's nothing, you're doing nothing more than just cultivating unbelief in them and so there's so much there's so much like um, clarity in just simply believing it and then things flow out of that, they, they flow out of the abundance of our heart is you, you find who a, a man is and, and that I I, to, I totally know what you're feeling in terms of I just have to believe this. That's
3: like, that's what I'm supposed to do is believe it.
9: <laughs> <laughs> it sounds easy, but my, <laughs> unfortunately.
3: My uh, my mom, I mean, when we got older, we started asking her questions, and she would like, she was not a theologian. She did not, was able to explain the word, but she believed. I mean, mm-hmm. it was just like, I saw her every morning reading the word, you know, and that mm-hmm. was just, she believed the word was the source of truth. She believed in prayer, you know, and it's just like... But if you ask her a tough question, you're like, I don't know. I just believe. believe. I mean, th- but it was, There was that just simple mm-hmm. I believe, and that, I think, spoke you know, more than, to me than anything mm. else, really, just that example.
9: Well, and Christ commends the, the faith of a child, which, <clears throat> you know, you think about, like, my kids trust me to do what's good for them because I'm their dad, um, but they don't understand why they should trust me, right. you know? They have no idea. They're just like, well, he's dad. He'll do what's good for us, you know? Uh, well, if I'm a decent father. Um, <laughs> But I, I think, too, that, that um, Scripture tells us you, um, you'll know them by their fruits. I think, like what you were saying, kids can see when we're saying one thing and we're behaving a different way. And I know for myself, um, I've always been a little quick-tempered, believe it or not, really bad. And so when I'm saying one thing to the kids, we're reading Scripture, we're talking about these things, and then, you know, five minutes later here, I'm snapping at one of them about something, you know, like, oh, I need to hurt, you know, that you know, I'm saying one thing with my mouth, and I'm doing another thing entirely with how I'm acting physically. And I think, like Joe was saying, I think our kids can see that, and it, it undermines what's coming out of our mouth I think, very quickly. Um, I thought I'd close with the the words of the, the very end of the chapter. I thought that... Um, what Doug had to say was, was uh, very good.
3: Spencer, before you run away from that moment, though, I just want to like speak over that for all of us. Okay. That grace and forgiveness is great in those moments, right? When, yes. we, when we turn and snap, yes. we, we can seek the Lord for forgiveness and even seek our kids for forgiveness. And, and God is good and, and forgiving and has extends grace for us in those. So we don't have to be perfect parents for the promises. Oh, yeah. I, I, just, I, get, I want to go back to. Our faithfulness, our 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 belief is in the faithfulness of God, not in our ability to yeah. to pull this off faithfully. Well, it's a
9: beautiful know. moment to share the gospel with your kids. Yeah. Like, yeah. Daddy's messed up. Like, yeah. I, I am horribly messed up. Right. And apart from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, like, I wouldn't be any better than I am now. Yeah. But like you said, it's a it's a wonderful. And I've had we've had nice conversations with our kids about yeah. um, what Christ has done for us and our brokenness and sin through you know, daddy lost his temper. Or, you know, I maybe, there's been a couple of times that I've maybe judged something, um, judged a child for something they didn't do. I found out <laughs> later. A little humble moment there. You know, and you have to apologize. And that, yeah. but that is a, it's a beautiful moment of redemption for us as parents. Um, and an example of, of the work of Christ. <clears throat> uh, let see, where was I? Oh, so I'm gonna, I was going to read the last little bit of what Doug had to say here because I thought it was, um, a good thing what he was saying about our, the redemption that we have um, in Christ and uh, the Holy Spirit in us. He said, The Spirit was not portioned out with a teaspoon, He was poured out at Pentecost. And as we look forward to an ever increasing fulfillment of His ministry and work in our world, we can expect, because God has promised it, the restoration of all things. The Holy Spirit will efficaciously and sovereignly regenerate countless generations. With assurances like this, we can truly rejoice that our God is a covenant-keeping God. For the Lord is good, His mercy is everlasting, and His truth endures to all generations. That's Psalm 105 at the end. Um, Yeah, that was was what I had to say. Um, Any other thoughts before we...
6: Close yeah. uh, one of the hallmarks that I'm seeing of co- raising your children covenantally is being responsible for their rearing and unfortunately I don't know if that's I don't think that's a pervasive thing as much anymore people are, people are content to let the youth pastor teach their children any of their theology any of their worship style and all of that so this, this covenantal, uh, basing your faith and rearing of your family in this culture of covenant is, is the way it's supposed to be, that's how I see it. And it's hard work, it is hard work, because it's so much easier to have your kids get up at the beginning of service and go behind that door over there, because that's where all the other kids are going, and we're going to turn them over to some good young man, or whoever, and they're gonna have a good time and maybe hear a story and all of that. But you know, these these kids, these children are in here with their parents, and they're they're watching daddy and they're watching mommy sing. You know, it's not in the shower; they're singing to the Lord and they're they're observing all this and they're included. That that's that's really important. And that, I'm gonna tell you, the world wants your kid; they want him. They want them lock, stock, and barrel, and they want to inculcate them and do all that other good stuff, bad stuff to them. But you know what, you're going to resist that because, because of the way your faith and, and what you believe, and that God has given you a responsibility. And when you mess up with your kid, God is your father, and he, like he said in Amos three two or three times, Kay pointed out, he relents, and he and He shows us grace, and we turn around and show our children grace, and then when we have to apologize because we did snap at him maybe right after a little Bible study at home, it's amazing how graceful our children will be, yeah. because it's always being modeled for them. So anyway, this is just a wonderful culture of raising children.
9: Well, I've had some beautiful moments, just some really sweet moments with Ben there, um, talking about you, son. Um, when when I have when I have you know been wrong and I've had to apologize, and and that not only does that bond us more spiritually, um, both with God and with each other, but it just it increases that love we have for each other. Um, and Ben knows I care about him. He knows that I know I was wrong and I wronged him, and I need to ask his forgiveness. I think that's super important. And I think what you were saying too about you know shoving our kids off to somebody else to oh yeah teach him God's word and teach them these things. That's all well and good to a point, but um, like what Doug said, we can't look to people for what, what is true and right. We have to look to God's word. And what does God's word say about raising up our children? Like Deuteronomy 6, it's my job as we get up in the morning, as we walk on the way, as we lie down, all those things, all day long. It's my job to see to it, that my children understand the word of God and how we are to live appropriately. So,
5: I'll leave it at that another Doyle in. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think' it's, it's really cool and important that your kids hear you guys talking about yeah. how to be a better parent. Mm-hmm. I think that's fantastic because you know normally I, I know as a, I <clears throat> excuse me that as a, as a kid with my parents, I just thought well, you know. You know, kind of fly by the seat of your pants. You don't get lessons in the hospital before you bring that baby. No. <laughs> you know, Bathing no, you is don't. not a twenty-four-seven <laughs> deal, and and I'm so proud of you guys. I really am. I'm so proud of you for doing it this way because this is the hard way, but it's the right way, and it, God will honor you. And I want you to, you guys, to know that Les and I are praying for your kids. Amen. I don't know all their names yet, but we are praying for your children because they are being raised in the right way, Mm -hmm. and they're going to have a target on their back. Mm -hmm. But you guys will know how to deal with it and how to respond in a biblical fashion. So, bravo, bravo. Thank you you for the prayers. Paul,
9: close us in prayer, I guess, on this part real quick, and then we'll carry on. Dear Heavenly Father, I do thank you for this body of believers, Lord, um, for your body, I pray that you would continue to, to grow us in wisdom and understanding um, as we work through this book, and more importantly, Lord, as we work through your word. I pray that you would um, give us guidance and uh, just instruct us, Lord. And I thank you for this conversation. I pray that you will bless it, um, that we will all um, glean from it what is needed. And uh, I just pray that you'd be with us in the week going forward. I we'll things in
6: Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.
0: Well done, Spencer. Thank you for that, Spencer. <laughs> Okay, so covenant renewal worship starts with the call to worship. God calls us into his presence. And then we confess our sins and God cleanses us from our sins. So this is the work of God in our lives. And then during the portion of consecration which we're now coming out of, that is God sanctifying us or changing us. He, he makes us more into the image of Jesus. And then when we become a mission church, this would be the point where we would do communion. And so we are going to continue to wait on the Lord's providence for that. And so after communion, we are sent back out into the world. And so we are commissioned back out into the world. God sends us back out into the world after he has fed us um, from Jesus. He has fed us the body and the blood of Christ. Uh, And so if you would rise uh, as you're able and hear the benediction, and then we'll sing the doxology. And as you're getting up, These are some major promises that we're being told here. And so here, the benediction. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Praise Praise God God from from whom all blessings flow.
2: Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him, above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen.
8: Amen. Amen. Lord bless you guys. Uh, Thank you.